Good morning. The title of this morning's message is Walking by Faith into Grace Upon Grace. This morning we are continuing to look at the Hall of Faith heroes found in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And today's heroes are Joshua, the army of Israel, and Rahab the harlot. And out of these three characters, only one is mentioned by name, and that is Rahab. So the author of Hebrews directs our attention to Rahab and her faith in particular, and how her faith enabled her to appropriate the physical salvation of her entire family by cooperating with God's grace and God's plans for Israel. All three of these characters are included in the stories referred to in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 11. I have it for you in the literal standard version. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell, having been surrounded for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who disbelieved, having received the spies with peace. I find it interesting that the Israel that is mentioned in these two stories is not the same Israel that left Egypt. The original Israel that left Egypt had failed to enter into the land of promise because they refused to believe that their God was bigger and more powerful than the giants that were squatting on their land. (laughs) And it truly was their land. God had already given it to them by his grace, but they could only walk into his grace by faith, by fully trusting God with their lives and then doing what he told them to do. They had to believe what God had told them and do what God told them to do in order for them to take physical possession of what he had already given them. Now, God would never have told the original Israelites to enter into the promised land if he knew that they actually could not do it. He knew they could if they would simply choose to believe his word to them. But they would have to choose to believe in the invisible God and his word to them more than they believed in the visible giants. Believers often think that we would be able to believe God more easily if he physically appeared to us. But it's actually not true. (laughs) Seeing God's physical manifestation in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire did not give the Israelite toddlers lasting confidence in their God. In order to have lasting confidence in God, they needed to know him and they needed to trust him and understand that he is completely faithful to them all the time. They needed to set their eyes on God's character, God's word, and God's power, all of which he continuously demonstrated. How could they see what he was doing every single day, raining bread from heaven, and still not believe? (laughs) The Israelite toddlers would have to believe if they wanted to take possession of what God had already given them, and they refused to do it. It was a choice. And as we saw the last time I ministered, God had given his Israelite toddlers plenty of physical evidence to help them believe. And the same was true with this new generation of Israelites who were about to take possession of the promised land. These Israelites had continued to see God's hand of provision 
and safety throughout their 40 years of wandering in the desert. Not to mention, they probably received a lecture from their parents (laughs) many times, telling them not to follow in their footsteps of unbelief. Now, faith is what happens in our heart when we choose to believe in the absolute truthfulness and faithfulness of God. God had told the Israelites that he would drive out the inhabitants of the land before them. But they chose to not believe God, even though God had given them plenty of evidence that he was well able to handle any adversity that came against them. But the original Israelites would not believe. And God does not go around making people believe in him against their will. He doesn't violate people's free will. But he's always more than willing to persuade our hearts so that we can believe, so we can trust him. If the original Israelites had simply told God that they were still afraid and they needed more of his help in order to believe, he would have persuaded their hearts. (laughs) That's what he does. But they didn't want to believe. They didn't want to conquer their enemies. They didn't want to cooperate with God. They wanted God to just do it for them. They wanted easy. So they got what easy could give them which was 40 years of wandering around the desert until they all died off. The original Israelites never entered into what God had already given to them by his grace, which is his absolutely free loving kindness. So instead of entering into their promise, they wandered around the desert for 40 years while they raised their children to do what they had refused to do. to believe and to trust in the God who daily supernaturally fed them, supernaturally protected them, and supernaturally led them in the way they should go until all of the original unbelieving believers of Israel had died out, which essentially left God with a new Israel who had a new leader who would lead them into a new land and into a new way of life. This truth would have been immediately recognizable by the Hebrew baby believers of the New Covenant because they now were part of a brand new believing Israel, the spiritual Israel of God in and through Christ, who is the true Israel of God. Natural Israel under the Old Covenant was only a type and shadow of what was to come. And God had called natural Israel his firstborn son. We can see this in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Here, God tells Moses what to say to Pharaoh regarding natural Israel. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So the natural nation of Israel was actually just a type and shadow of the true Israel of God, which is God's unique son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul makes the same point over in Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. But it is not as though the word of God had failed. In other words, the promises made to natural Israel didn't fail. For not all who are descended from natural Israel belong to spiritual Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But 
through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh. It's not the biology (laughs) of Israel, the genetics of Israel that caused them to be saved. Those are not the ones who are children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. In other words, the children born of the Spirit by faith in Christ and his finished work. These are the ones that are included in the true Israel of God. They are essentially the new Israel of a New Testament, a new covenant. Now, both natural, unbelieving Israel and the Gentiles alive at the time of Jesus could have become part of the true Israel of God, but only in and through faith in Christ, the true firstborn, who is himself also Yahweh God. So the promises made to Israel under the Old Covenant are actually only completely fulfilled in and through Christ, not in and through natural, unbelieving Israel. Jesus and the finished work of the cross was always the Father's plan of redemption, always. And Jesus, as the true Israel of God, was always meant to fulfill all the promises, all the law, all the prophets, all the types and shadows made for and given to natural Old Covenant Israel. So the spiritual Israel of the New Covenant was very much like the new believing Israel of the Old Covenant, that second generation. The unbelieving toddlers that came out of Egypt had to live with the new believing Israelites for 40 years until all of the unbelieving believers died out which was exactly what was going to happen under the New Covenant. The unbelieving Israelites who rejected Jesus would receive the promised destruction of her temple, her city, and her people as a whole. They would literally die out in AD 70, all within a 40-year period of time. The 40 years in the desert, the 40 years, everything points to Christ. It has always meant to point to Christ. And then the new believing Israelites, both under the Old Covenant and those under the New Covenant, would enter into what God had promised. But God had to appoint a new leader to take them into their promises. Both the Old Covenant Israelite believers and the New Covenant Hebrew baby believers had to let go of Moses. For the Old Covenant Israelite believers, Moses died physically. For the New Covenant Hebrew baby believers, Moses died symbolically. In other words, the covenant he had mediated had literally died away the day Jesus died on the cross. And this truth was confirmed by the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. So, Both the believing Israel under the Old Covenant and the believing Israel under the New Covenant had a new leader named Joshua. And both of these believing Israels had to let go of Moses in order to proceed into their promised future. Both of these believing Israels could only enter into the promises by accepting their God-appointed new leader. And God gave both of these believing Israels plenty of evidence that God was with each of their Joshua's. The Old Covenant believing Israel under Joshua's leadership 
was finally ready to take possession of all that God had already given to them by his grace. And the first conquest was to be Jericho. So when they first reached the promised land, Joshua sent two spies into the land to see what they were up against. And then the spies ended up miraculously, ha ha ha, (laughs) meeting Rahab. Now, most translations call her a harlot or a prostitute, but that may not actually be the case. The Hebrew word for a female innkeeper who provides the comfort of food and lodging was the same exact word used for a prostitute who provided an altogether different kind of comfort. (laughs) So we don't actually know which definition would best apply to her. And it could actually be both. She could have been the owner of a brothel. It doesn't tell us that. (laughs) So we don't know for sure. However, the Jewish historian Josephus, he calls her a female innkeeper in the Greek. So we can't really be sure. But what we do know for sure is that she believed wholeheartedly in the God of Israel. And we can see this in Joshua chapter 2, beginning with verse 8 and ending with verse 21. Before they, the spies, went to sleep, she, Rahab, came up to them on the roof because that's where she had hid them from the king of Jericho's men, and said to the men, I know that Yahweh has given, past tense, Yahweh has already given you the land, and the dread of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away in fear because of your presence. For we have heard how Yahweh dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you went out from Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. We heard this, and our hearts melted, and no courage was left in anyone because of your presence. For Yahweh your God is God in heaven, in the heavens above and on earth below. All of God's mighty works on behalf of his Israelite toddlers had the desired effects on all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. It had been 40 years since the Israelites left Egypt, but the inhabitants of the land were still afraid of Yahweh and Israel for all of those years. Verse 12. So then, please swear to me by Yahweh, because I have shown loyalty to you. In other words, she had lied to the king's men on their behalf, saving them from being captured. And you will also show loyalty to my family. You must give me a sign of good faith. And you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all that belongs to them. You will deliver our lives from death. I love this. She's not asking. (laughs) You are going to do this. (laughs) I know you're God. (laughs) And the men said to her, our lives for yours. If you do not report this business of ours because they were scoping out the land, we will show you loyalty and faithfulness when Yahweh gives us the land. And then she lowered them with a rope through the window as her house was on the outer side of the wall and she was residing in the wall. And she said to them, go to the mountain so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers return and afterward you may go on your way. The men said to her, We will be released from this oath of yours 
that you made us swear. When we come into the land, you must tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you must gather your father and mother and your brothers and your whole family into your house. If anyone goes outside the doors of your house, they will be responsible for their own death and we will be innocent. Anyone who will be with you in the house, we will be responsible for their death if a hand is laid on them. But if you report this business of ours, are sneaking about your land, <laughs> we will be released from the oath that you made us swear. And she said, according to your word, it will be. Sounds a little bit like Mary, doesn't it? <laughs> then she sent them away, and they went, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. God has a way of getting people to where they need to be. The spies needed a place to hide, and Rahab was the only person in Jericho who would have been willing to hide them from the king of Jericho because her actions would have been seen as treason and could have resulted in her death. But she believed more in Yahweh's power to save than she did in the king's power to kill. All of Jericho believed in and feared Yahweh and his power. They even believed Israel had a right to the land. But no one else was willing to look to Yahweh for their salvation, physical or spiritual. I think that's interesting. They believed he was real. They believed he was powerful, but they didn't want to go to him for their salvation. So there was only one ally in all of Jericho who was willing to trust Yahweh for their salvation, and that was Rahab. And no doubt she had heard about the Israelites placing the blood of the lamb over their doorways in Egypt, whereby the messenger of death passed over them. So placing the crimson rope in the window was a perfect declaration of her faith in the saving power of Yahweh. She was doing something very much like the Israelites had originally done, putting something red over the doorpost, <laughs> in her case, the window. Rahab and the spies were both walking right into God's grace upon grace by faith in Yahweh. They were placing all of their confidence in Yahweh alone, Yahweh's grace, his absolutely free, loving kindness. This grace provided the physical salvation for the spies from the king of Jericho. And that same grace would also provide the physical salvation for Rahab and her family. And this was the same kind of faith the Hebrew baby believers of the new covenant needed to exercise too. God had grace, divine enablement, and divinely orchestrated escapes continuously available to them. They needed to believe that God had allies for them, too, even amongst their enemies. They needed to see that Rahab was choosing to trust in God for her physical salvation and not in her city's strong, fortified walls. The whole point of walls was to keep the inhabitants of the city safe. But there are no walls more powerful than Yahweh. Before God declared judgment on Jericho, any and all who lived there could have chosen to trust in Yahweh too. But they didn't. Instead, they chose to trust in their walls to save them. And this was one of the temptations the Hebrew baby believers struggled with too. Jesus had told them to run to the mountains when they saw the city surrounded by enemies. 
But that's not logical. <laughs> the logical thing to do was to stay inside the walls. But God knew that the walls surrounding Jerusalem were coming down just as surely as the walls of Jericho. And that's why the author of Hebrews chose to remind them about Rahab's faith. Not to put their faith in the walls, but in their God. God had a completely new life awaiting Rahab and her family. It would be in a new place and with a new people. And it would be completely different from anything that she had ever known before. And so it would be for the Hebrew baby believers of the new covenant, too. They were to leave everything they had ever known and entrust themselves to God's care and God's word to them through Jesus. Everything that they had ever known was about to be destroyed, and there was no coming back. A new life and a new way of life was just beyond their horizon. But they could only walk into this gift of God's grace by continuing to walk by faith in their new Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the new believing Israel under the Old Covenant, that second generation, had some faith walking ahead of them, too. <laughs> It all started with the spies returning to Joshua. And we can see this in Joshua chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. The two men returned and went down from the mountain, and they crossed over and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Surely Yahweh has given all the land into our hand. Also, the inhabitants of the land melt away in fear because of our presence. We are big and scary. <laughs> so their conversations with Rahab had actually encouraged their faith. Her testimony that everybody still knows about this 40 years later. Everybody still knows this land belongs to you. We're not going to give it up peacefully, but we know who it belongs to. <laughs> Their faith was encouraged by their conversation with Rahab. Yahweh was confirming to them over and over again that they really could trust him. God had already convinced their enemies of the truth, that the land had already been given to the Israelites, and that the inhabitants of the land were technically trespassing. So the spies for Israel were convinced that their enemies were fully expecting Israel to attack and overtake them. Even before the new believing Israel miraculously crossed over through the Jordan River on dry land. But once they had actually crossed over into Gigal, the news of their miraculous crossing swept through the land and terror filled their hearts. When God does big stuff, it gets around. <laughs> and people believe. And we can see this in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. And it happened when all the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that Yahweh dried up the waters of the Jordan in front of the Israelites until they crossed over. And their hearts melted, and there was no courage left in them because of the presence of the Israelites. Both the new believing Israelites and their enemies knew Yahweh God was with Joshua the same way he had been with Moses. This was God saying, 
<laughs> he has the same anointing. He has the same power and authority. He has the same position. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That's what he had told Joshua. And this was God going, see? <laughs> see, I'm with you the same way I was with Moses. <laughs> so Joshua's faith is encouraged. Joshua's faith rises when he sees that God is confirming him in front of the people. So this news getting out about what God had done. This was, of course, bad news to Israel's enemies. But it was a great confident booster for the Israelites. They had entered the promised land the same way their parents had left Egypt, by walking in faith in Yahweh's grace and Yahweh's word. The promised land was a gift of Yahweh God's grace. In other words, it was completely free. They hadn't earned the title to the land of Canaan. They hadn't earned the miraculous crossing of the Jordan on dry ground. They hadn't earned the victory over their enemies that was shortly to take place. It was all given to them as gifts of Yahweh, God's grace upon grace. God's grace multiplied to them over and over and over again. At every turn, Yahweh supplied them with what they needed in order to continue to believe his word in them so that they could respond to his word and to his divine strategies with faith. If any of the new believing Israel doubted that Yahweh was with Joshua, the same as he was with Moses, crossing the Jordan on dry ground surely took care of those doubts. You know, these are the kids of the parents who crossed over the Red Sea. They didn't get to see it. <laughs> But now they got to experience it for themselves. They got to experience walking by faith in God's grace and seeing the wonderful things that God would do for them. And Yahweh God not only assured the new believing Israelites that he was with Joshua, the same as he was with Moses, but he also confirmed his words to Joshua personally. God will always speak to us personally. I have this for you in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And it happened when Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you with us or with our adversaries? <laughs> who, who are you fighting for? <laughs> and he said, Neither. In other words, he's fighting for Yahweh because this is God's battle on behalf of Israel. And it was to be brought forth through Israel by her faith in her God. And Joshua had recognized that this was not just a messenger from God, but was in fact God himself coming to encourage his faith and to give him Yahweh's divine strategy on how they were going to conquer their first enemy. This mysterious figure is the pre-incarnate Christ the captain of angel armies, and the captain of Israel's physical army. Continuing in verse 14. I have come now as the commander of Yahweh's army. And Joshua fell on his face and bowed down and said to him, What is my Lord commanding his servant? The commander of Yahweh's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy just like he had done with Moses, confirming that 
he is qualified to take on this mission the same way Moses was qualified. We're qualified by Christ, not by our works. And so Joshua did so. This, of course, is the same instruction Yahweh had given Moses prior to sending him to confront Pharaoh. And so Joshua is commissioned by God himself to confront the inhabitants of Jericho. And just as Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt by faith in his grace and power, Yahweh would also take them into their finished work of victory the exact same way, by faith in God's grace and power. So the captain of angel armies tells Joshua his divine strategy for conquering Jericho. The Israelites were going to walk by faith into Yahweh God's finished work of grace by his grace. They are going to win over their enemy, literally walking around the city of Jericho in faith. And we can see the strategy given to Joshua in chapter 6 of Joshua, beginning with verse 3. You will march around the city, all the warriors circling the city at once. You will do so for six days. And the seven priests will bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you will march around the city seven times, and the priests will blow on the trumpets. And when they blow long on the horn of the ram, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people will shout with a great war cry. And the wall of the city will fall flat, and the people will charge each one straight ahead. And actually the phrase, the people here, doesn't refer to everybody. It refers to the 40,000 fighting able men that went in to do this. Now, it may sound odd to us that Yahweh's divine strategy began with warriors simply walking around the city once a day for 40 days. He doesn't ask them to do something hard. He's asking them to walk, literally walk, by faith, trusting God. But Yahweh here is speaking to Joshua, and the literally walking by faith in his God is how he had left Egypt and how he had crossed the Jordan River and entered into the Promised Land. So literally walking by faith in his God would probably have made perfect sense to him. Walking in faith is what the new believing Israel had become really good at, this second generation. And so Yahweh's divine strategy would bring glory to Yahweh as the God of Israel, not glory to Israel as being big and powerful. The God of Israel would be the one who would receive all the glory because he is the God who is God in heaven above and God on earth below. Their victories were given to them by grace, but apprehended by literally, I love that, literally walking in faith in their God and his word to them. The purpose of taking the Ark of the Covenant with the priests and the trumpets was to notify the inhabitants of Jericho that Yahweh God was present with Israel. The Ark of the Covenant always represented God's physical presence. They could see it. <laughs> He's with us. So the army is practicing their faith. We've got God with us while they're walking around this city. The same Yahweh God who had triumphed over all of Egypt and whose fame had already caused terror in the inhabitants of Jericho, that was the God, the same God, who was now walking around the city of Jericho with them. 
Now, there was one prohibition given to Israel's warriors as they circled the city. And we can see this in verse 10 of chapter 6. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You will not shout. You will not let your voice be heard. A word will not go out from your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you will shout. Now, why would Yahweh tell them not to talk? <laughs> Keep your mouth shut when you're walking around that mountain. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut when you're walking around that city. <laughs> probably so they would not be able to fall into the same unbelief the original Israelites struggled with. Yahweh had told the original Israelites that came out of Egypt to shut their mouths and to stop grumbling and complaining and to look only to their salvation. And that's exactly what they needed to do here as well. Often, as believers are continuing to exercise their faith in a particular situation, we can grow discouraged when we don't see an immediate effect on the situation. We can start grumbling and complaining. You know, that doesn't look like anything's happening. This is futile. Why am I doing this? And we can begin to undermine our own faith and confidence by letting unbelief come out of our own mouths and enter our own hearts. This was a real possibility for the new believing Israel. They needed to persevere in faith regardless of the lack of response from inside of Jericho. Jericho was shut up. Nobody coming in, nobody coming out, and nobody doing nothing. <laughs> they were all afraid. But this going around the city seven times, it always makes me think of Naaman. When the prophet told him, you okay, you want to be healed? Great. Go wash in the Jordan, dunk, seven times. He got all mad. <laughs> it's a dirty river. I don't want to go dunk in a dirty river. Who do you think you are? <laughs> but when he finally figured out that God had asked him to do an easy thing instead of a hard thing, he's like, hmm, I suppose it's worth being healed. I can do an easy thing. But don't you think when he went down and he came up, he went, checked it out. Am I better? Dunk number two. Am I better? Dunk number three, on and on. Every time he dunked, he must have been waiting for something to happen. <laughs> because that's what he thought. He thought somehow the dunking was the source of the healing. Not understanding that it was the faith. He had actually operated in faith by doing what God told him to do. So when the seventh dunk was done, he was completely healed and completely converted to faith in Yahweh. Also, as Israel marched around the city, it would become more and more clear to them that there was no way for them to access this fortified city in their own strength. <laughs> so they still have to see the giant of the walls and say, no, my God is bigger. No, my God is more powerful. I don't care how big these walls are. God says they're coming down. So they needed to keep their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbol of Yahweh God's actual presence with them. It was, in fact, their guarantee that this battle belonged to Yahweh. Now, Jericho had two different kinds of walls. The first wall was made of stones, and it was used as a retaining wall 
It's what kept the city elevated on what's called a tell. What they used to do is every time a city was conquered by somebody else, they would just rebuild on top of it. <laughs> and then when they got conquered by somebody, then somebody new would build on top of that city. They kept building on the destruction that was left behind. So they ended up with this large mound, and it's called a tell. And in order to keep the elevation, they put a retaining wall all the way around it so that it would stay a mound and not smush out flat. <laughs> so this was part of their protection, were these large stone walls. That was the first wall. On top of the retaining walls, they built walls with red brick just like they did in Egypt. Red brick. So when it talks about the walls falling down, it wasn't the retaining walls. God is so smart. It was these red walls, these brick walls. And it says when they fell flat, what would actually happen is because this wall, the red walls are on top of the stone walls, the red walls would fall outward and collapse creating siege ramps. When an army went against a city, they would have to usually build the siege ramps. It's an incline up to the retaining wall. The retaining wall would stop where the land was flat. So when these walls fell down, God created instant siege ramps where they could run right up <laughs> without having to build anything. God knew what he was doing. Imagine that. <laughs> so, after six days of circling the city, once a day in silence, the shouting day finally arrived. And we can see this in chapter 6, beginning with verse 15. Then on the seventh day, they rose early at dawn, and they marched around the city in this manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, the priests blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the people, Shout, for Yahweh has given you the city. The city and all that is in it will be devoted to Yahweh. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house will live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Keeping down to verse 20. So the people shouted, and they blew on the trumpets, and when the people heard the sound of the trumpets, they raised a great shout, and the wall fell flat. The people charged each one straight into the city, and they captured it. Verse 21. And they utterly destroyed by the edge of the sword all who were in the city, both men and women, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied on the land, Go to the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, just as you swore to her. So the young men who were spies went and brought Rahab and her father and mother, her brothers and all who were with her, and they brought out all her family and set them outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. They put only the silver and gold and the items of copper and iron into the treasury of the house of Yahweh. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her family and all who were with her, and she has lived in the midst of Israel until this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. This miracle escape from judgment 
on Jericho was brought about by the faith of a heathen innkeeper slash prostitute. Her faith in God and the God of Israel had given her the courage to protect the spies from the king of Jericho and to ask them to make a deal with her for her and her family's protection and freedom. But where did Rahab get this faith? Where did she get this confidence that Yahweh God could actually save her and her family from the coming judgment? She had heard the stories. Faith comes by hearing the truth regarding the one true and living God. She had heard how powerful and wonderful Yahweh was. And she probably also heard that anyone who wanted, anyone who wanted to leave Egypt and join themselves to Israel was accepted simply by faith in Yahweh God's amazing grace. Her faith gave her courage. Her faith gave her favor. Her faith brought her out of a place of judgment and literally walked her into a new life in a new place with a new believing Israel, and with her, Joshua. And I say her, Joshua, because according to Jewish legend, not scripture, according to the Jewish writings, this Joshua ended up marrying Rahab. Just more grace upon grace. How does a heathen innkeeper slash prostitute end up married to the, basically the president of this nation <laughs> by grace in God's faith. The Hebrew baby believers also needed to be reminded that they too were part of the new believing Israel of the new covenant. The spiritual Israel who was the bride of their new Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he would be just as faithful to them as Joshua had been to Rahab. The Hebrew baby believers also needed to be reminded that there are no walls so tall and so wide that Yahweh God cannot bring them down or open them up. They too would literally walk out of a place of judgment and into a new life in a new place with the new believing Israel married to her new Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would all come to pass because they chose to believe God and his word to them. They continued to walk in faith according to his word, even when it didn't look like anything was changing. I always think of healing with this. Because usually Christians are trying to get healed. <laughs> and instead of believing, no, I am the healed. I'm going to do what my... Father tells me to do in order to bring that into manifestation. We've already got it. We're not trying to get it. We're going to act on our faith and it will manifest. He manifests what we believe him for. They continued to walk in faith according to his word, even when it didn't look like anything was changing. I'm healed whether I feel like it or not. I'm prosperous and doesn't matter what my bank account says. It matters what my father says. And he says, I have given you everything for life and godliness. By grace, appropriated by faith. Their faith would give them courage. Their faith would give them favor. 
and their faith would continue to take them into experiencing more and more of their Father's marvelous grace. And so it is for us. Faith comes or is activated by hearing the truth of the new covenant of grace upon grace. Grace that it multiplies is more and more grace. He just gets better and better and better. (laughs) When grace is multiplied over and over and we see it, faith arises in our hearts when we choose to believe it. (laughs) And our faith will give us courage to face whatever enemy stands in our way. Our faith can and will move mountains if we faint not. Sometimes you're going to have to walk around that mountain a couple of times. <laughs> Again, we're not trying to get something from God. He has already promised us that he has supplied, already supplied, everything we need for life and godliness through his great and precious promises, which means you can only get them by believing, by faith, by trusting him. So we are simply choosing to believe what he says and to keep walking by faith in his grace, multiplying more grace. Grace is our Father's absolutely free loving kindness. It is his goodness made available to us simply by believing his word to us. But sometimes, like Joshua and his warriors, We have to continue to walk by faith, even when it looks like nothing is changing. Our Father is faithful, and he will be faithful to persuade our hearts that he has already provided everything we need through his grace so that we can continue to walk in our faith, keeping our eyes on him until whatever wall or adversity finally gives way and we physically walk into that grace-provided victory. There's always a corresponding action. Most of the time, Christians get the first part of, of understanding this. Okay, by grace, I got it. And then they sit down and do nothing. I've already got it, so what else am I going to do? <laughs> You're going to do what God tells you to do. For some people, it's, you know, I want you to wait. Just wait. Some people are going to wait. You need to walk around this mountain. You need to keep talking to it inwardly. (laughs) You are not staying. You are going. You keep resisting the sickness. We're not trying to get healing. We're trying to exit the sickness. We're resisting so that we overcome. God is faithful to give us siege ramps. (laughs) whatever we need to get from where we are to where where we want to be, he will provide the way. He will provide the strategy. He will provide the power. He will provide the courage. He will provide it all. All we got to do is believe and respond in faith. Do what he tells us to do. One of the things I really liked about looking at these passages, these stories, they're so gigantic and huge, and you're like, how do you tell a story that big in this amount of time? (laughs) But what I really liked is is how absolutely everything in these stories point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why they're mentioned in the book of Hebrews. Because he was trying to convince them that everything they needed for life was 
already there. It was grace. Your salvation is sure. They were steeped in these stories. They knew them by heart, but now they had a new lens, the lens of God's marvelous grace, that we don't earn anything. We have already received everything. He's provided the siege ramps. He's provided the way out. He's provided the victory. He's provided. And as we listen to him and follow him, we'll walk right into our victory because it's already there and it's already ours. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the stories, Father God, the pictures you paint. We thank you for the Old Testament picture book. At first glance, it doesn't look like it's all about Jesus. But it is. Jesus is greater than Moses, and Jesus is greater than Joshua, and Jesus is greater than any wall, any obstacle that comes into our view. You are the greater, and the greater one lives in us. There is no obstacle that can stop a person who's walking by faith, who refuses to let go of what they know belongs to them because of Jesus. You are always at work helping us to see things the way you see them. You're always helping us to believe that we already have everything we need for life and godliness. It's manifested as we walk in faith, as we walk out that truth in our life. And so, Father God, we thank you for the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you and he are everything that we will ever need for all eternity. You love us, you take care of us, you provide for us, you have divine plans and strategies for us. Help us, Father God, to draw close and to hear the strategies. Let us see our Joshua with his sword drawn. Let us see that you have already won this victory, whatever victory we need. And Father God, we thank you that it is ours and that we are going to walk into it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE G-I-V-E to 833-632-1315 or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.